Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Alyssa Moreno is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter who has written with and been recorded by artists such as Colby Calais, Rascal Flatts, Sarah Evans, Vince Gill, John Oates, and so many more. Her music has also been featured on a number of TV shows. I first met Alyssa around 2008 or 2009, and at the time, one of her co-writes had recently become a hit single, even going so far as to garner a Grammy nomination. When you hear her story, you may very well decide that it's time to start going to the right industry conference for you. Because who knows who you might meet. Alyssa Moreno, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Yeah. Hey, so for people who may not know who you are, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter and recording artist. Um, tends to uh, consider myself from California, but really the truth is, I'm from New Mexico. I just, I kind of forget that because uh, I was in the trenches <laughs> in LA. That's where I feel like I grew up um, because that's where kind of my artistry grew up. But uh, I'm currently in Nashville, Tennessee hmm. and I'm sitting, uh, sitting out enjoying a beautiful view as we speak. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hear that, you know, little personal detail here. My dad was born in New Mexico on a Navajo reservation. Oh, no kidding. Which one? Um, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head right now, but his dad was a doctor doing testing. And oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I last met you in 2007 or 2008, and at the time um, you had a lot going on. Musically, I imagine your career was taken off. Uh, you want to kind of step us into, like, how you got into music and kind of how you got your big breaks as far as what other people might consider it to be? Yeah, I guess uh, the way I got into it was pretty naturally um, with Suzuki Violin. Mm. It was like a, a daddy and me class or something. <laughs> you know, I was really young. I was just under three. Nice. Um, and so I think it was sort of an experimental, you know, invitational sort of class. And uh, I really took to it and really loved it. And that morphed into piano about around age five. And then that led to bands and singing and theater. And um, and then I was always a big fan of literature and essay writing and poetry. So that eventually led me to realize there was such a thing as a songwriter. Mm. I figured out right about around college. And that's when I um, went to study music at the College of Santa Fe. Cool. And uh, yeah, what yeah, was what did that mean to like discover that there were songwriters? Like, 
What did that mean? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> For me, I just had no, had never given it a thought. Hmm. Um, it had never occurred to me. I don't know why. I didn't think about who wrote the songs. I just thought about who sang them. And when I was thinking, you know, as a child, what would I do if I were going to put together an album? Is it going to be like the Star Spangled Banner and Amazing Grace? I mean, I don't know what I, I guess, you know, in hindsight, that's all probably public domain. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I don't really know. Mm. I don't know what I was uh, um, really thinking beyond that. And uh, it probably was really not until I was about 16 or 17 um, that I thought about writing my own songs, but really, you know, storytelling songs, not just the, the kind of people I looked up to that were more rock musicians that just put together cool words and cool sounds. Mm-hmm. And do you remember like who you were listening to at the time or like what was influencing? Yeah, man, 16 years old. Um, it was under the pink by Tori Amos mm. that like blew my world open. Because they were really these little portraits, these stories, and it was a person that had lived that life and then was writing about it, who also played piano. So that was someone that was so relatable to me. Yeah. Um, so you saw it that way at the time, like that these were people telling stories that were like connected to who they were and what they yeah. were. Yeah. Yep. Which led me to PJ Harvey and Bjork and man, Ani DeFranco. Sarah McLaughlin, Alanis Morissette, nice. Cheryl Crow came out of that. It was like just like finding a magical book that never ended. <laughs> just kept reading. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like we're yeah. we're of an age here. Um, and then, like, what brought you to like LA? Oh, that was always the lifelong dream. I always knew I wanted to live in LA. Just a total beach baby. Mm -hmm. I just adore the West Coast. You know, I'm from the mountains, from mm -hmm. New Mexico, so L.A. has that in the desert, which L.A. is. And I had family. My dad's originally from Pico Rivera. He's like a, you know, World War II, post-World War II track housing guy. And, oh, okay. uh, so there's some family out there of his, and it just was like never a question in my mind. That was... Um, that was it. That was always the vision, always the goal. New Mexico, man. Uh, my friends love to hate on it. <laughs> I got a little scared, scared away from it for a while. I even lived in Hawaii for a minute where they might mm -hmm. even be one step more vehemently distasteful <laughs> of, um, of L.A. But I made it. I finally made it. Yeah, L.A. and Hawaii may not be exactly the same. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, nothing. New Mexico either. In New Mexico, we call it manana time. And in Hawaii, we call it aloha time. But neither of those really vibe with the, <laughs> the frenetic energy of, of Hollywood, <laughs> where I ended up living for a long time. Right. And so, like, did you find yourself fitting in to LA in that energy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 100%. It's really funny because people always say, I don't know if there are like some misconceptions about it or if I just skirted past all the drama and sort of fake stuff. Um, but I just attracted the most amazing in-depth people um, with uh, all the same kind of 
interests and life goals and love of nature and of helping people. And man, I just had an incredible community from the day I moved there. Wow. So I never had the kind of shallow plastic thing that I've heard. Of. I mean, they, it's called Tinseltown for a reason, you know? Yeah. Um, I just didn't experience that ever, ever. I yeah. still don't. Um, when I go back and I'm really grateful for that because I know that is a, you know, stereotypes come out of some truth. But, man, I've also heard that it's on a spiritual vortex and that it's like the Pondicherry of India, which I told hmm. is it Pondicherry or Puri? I think Puri might be the more heavily spiritual sort of Mecca. And that L.A. has that. Um, and that's why a lot of great seekers and teachers end up there. And I completely resonated with that statement. Yeah, so there's a lot of intersections of different types of lifestyles and thought patterns and, and yeah. you know, and it, that kind of reminds me a little bit of people in Nashville as well. You know? Yeah, that's really happening here. That's so true. I yeah. think it always has been here, but I mean, now that I'm living here longer, I'm really seeing it more. That's, yeah, that's, I agree with that. Yeah. And so like, how did you kind of like break into the music business? I guess that the very beginning of it for me was um, the Durango Songwriters Expo. Oh, yeah. And that year, it was in Purgatory, Colorado. Is that a real (laughs) town? It literally went to Purgatory. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And uh, it was, um, man, like... Just uh, probably right after Y2K, maybe a year or two. Um, oh, you know what it was, Ethan? This is strange. It was um, right after 9-11. That's right. Uh, yeah. Because this was when we still like lived by just U.S. mail. Mm-hmm. And I had to submit my demo. And the demo had to arrive by September 11. You know, six weeks before the um, program was going to happen. Yeah, And uh, I remember driving. In fact, the girlfriend I was driving with was actually had moved back from Brooklyn. So it was really extra horrifying to her because she was worrying about all her friends. Yeah. And we were just driving. We drove over the border to to deliver it to the post station that, you know, could take it. And I could be considered an on-time submission. So it was like a five-hour drive just listening on the radio to what was going on. It was crazy. Yeah. But that's when I started and that's where I got my break. Wow. So it sounds like maybe, uh, have you always been like extroverted? <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely no. not. It sounds easeful for you that you fell in with these friends and tribe, but maybe there's more to it than that. But yeah, that's like a reinvention of self though. That occurred later in life. It was probably about 17 when I became maybe an extrovert. took a few years. Yeah. Mm. I think we all get so that, then right? That's true. By the time I moved there, yeah. <laughs> then it was easy. And I did just attract and meet the coolest people. Um, boy, and then I had family move out there. Kind of everyone now is, is in some form in the business. Um, almost everyone. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was a great tribe. <laughs> it was a great tribe. Yeah, and were you at that time, like, were you confident performer, you know, like, confident in meeting strangers mm-hmm. and 
hanging out and, Mm -hmm. you know, putting on a performance to impress industry people, that kind of thing. Yeah. All that stuff started really coming naturally to me after college, I think, which I think, you know, music school can really help bring that out in you. Yeah, I guess I was very shy. Yeah. And it's, um, it's uncomfortable. Um, but I think that's what, you know, I honestly wouldn't have even gone to college except mm. that I knew that about myself and I knew that there was work that needs to be done just on confidence level and sort of self-esteem level. And that's what school was for me. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Developing that muscle and yeah. That's cool that you had that self-awareness early on, you know, for some people, right. And it takes longer to get there. I include myself in that, you know, category you know yeah yeah i look back i remember watching the pearl jam documentary and like they Mm. were all like 20 years old and like they already had it all figured out we're doing the right things i'm like really (laughs) (laughs) what what was i doing when i was 20 yeah right yeah but um so you you got your big break at Durango. Was there a person that kind of like was an in for? Yeah, you? there were there were two. There were really four. But I'll first say number one um, was a guy named Jeffrey Steele, mm. and just one of the the absolutely greatest writers I've ever met in my life. And then personally, my favorite performer, and I think everyone can agree, one of the most uh, incredible singers. Um, around still to this day mm-hmm. and uh he was there and you know at this time like genres really didn't mix and he's definitely on the countryside right and um he was going oh my god i love this i totally get you you know we need to write which i i didn't understand co-writing at the time yeah but it's up to the publisher and his publisher said why like she's a pop girl that's silly uh-huh. And you know, he talks about this to this day. It was like years and years of him saying, "We've got to do something with her, man. We've got to like sign her, bring her to Nashville." And them saying, "Why? <laughs> she so clearly, uh, you know, belongs in L.A." Which yeah. I didn't live in L.A. at the time, but it was it was him. And then I really feel like I have to mention this guy because he's recently passed, and it's just I can feel the absence of him now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ralph Murphy. Oh yeah, Ralph from ASCAP. Oh, yeah. I, I got to meet Ralph like around 2008 as well. He oh, nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really special and really understood songwriters. Was a great songwriter himself. Yeah. Um, and he took the time to call me up like on a landline. <laughs> I'll never forget this in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and say, "I, I see it in you, and I." know you've got the thing and I have to help you go where that skill can be honed. And I think Mm. your um, alliances will be in LA, but listen, there's Nashville, there's New York, there's Austin, or there's California and you you need to choose and you need to do it. And I'm so grateful for him and for that. And then of course I signed up immediately for my performing rights organization and, and really started. So really he gave me the impetus to jump and the permission. That's really, that's really cool that you had that 
you found you so you went to this conference and you you found like your supporters and cheerleaders and kind of early mentors it sounds like that gave you that push yeah it's really true that's really true it's very lucky because then there ended up being a songwriter who was also at that festival who was really supportive and wonderful named david bearwald okay man he's from uh dave and dave you know welcome to the boom town was there and then he worked on the tuesday night music club which was like incredibly mm-hmm. inspiring for me mm-hmm. and moulin rouge who wrote that beautiful come what may you know just Oh, he's so good. Cool. He just really motivated. I was like, okay, so if I'm in LA and this is the kind of stature of people I get to work with and be surrounded by, or, or then we ended up sharing a management team. It was just like, okay, done. <laughs> I don't ever have to think again. I never questioned that move, you know? Yeah. So that must, that must have been really affirming to, to have somebody yeah. tell you that and believe in you. And Yeah. Yeah, so was it just That's like, true. okay, yeah, I'm going to do that? Or was there like a little bit of like hesitation? Or Oh, man, definitely or... hesitation. Definitely hesitation. Um, I called a friend from high school. I hadn't seen him in about five years, and he was living in L.A. And I said, I want to like check out, you know, a few cities. Um, I want to come stay in L.A. on your couch for a week or two and just, you know, get a vibe. And yeah. he said, um Alyssa, no. If you want to live on my couch, you can live on my couch as long as you want, but you have to jump in. No, like one foot in the water thing. Hmm. That's good advice. That was it. I had ten days to pack up and <laughs> ship, ship up and ship out. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a pretty <laughs> big <I> leap. <laughs> yeah, and I have to thank him for that. To this day, that, that was my friend Eli Min, and he's actually a great. Um, film editor uh, and um you know just incredible artistic brain and i guess he just knew like no don't don't do anything halfway that's dumb <laughs> just do it or don't you can't use any excuses and i'm really grateful to him for that because i had to really pack up my stuff and do it yeah that's beautiful um so when you get to la and you've got management like what is the life of a songwriter, singer songwriter at that point? A lot of waitressing, <laughs> a lot of waitressing. Um, I think I was at Arnold Schwarzenegger's place at the time. It was called Shotsy on Main. Okay. And, um, and then there was a little bar that was, didn't even have their liquor license yet. Um, and they invited me to come play on a Sunday night and they were, called the hotel cafe okay and um people would say like what is this hotel thing you're playing but the hotel cafe ended up being really i'd say i I think arguably it's still the the premier spot for songwriters for singer songwriters um and solo artists um just such a supportive and creative and incredible environment and I started there on Sunday nights, and I ultimately moved out of waitressing um, and into music teaching, which was really cool because then I was working with, you know, really top-notch producers and actors and singers, and I was teaching their children. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was just something... Um, 
just it was really nice to use my degree first of all <laughs> which many of us in the liberal and performing arts never <laughs> get to do and um and then too it was just a great way to have evenings and um and you know other times to be creative and um work on my own stuff yeah and so when you'd go play this weekly gig was was the goal to just be comfortable practice getting comfortable is it to try out new material and, or network oh yeah or all of the- yeah yeah mostly it was to try out new material uh, meet awesome people like gary Jules was coming out of there at that time and a guy named Waz had just got off the pete yorn stuff and was now he's like quite the composer um it's just this great crew um so honestly, I think my roommate and I looked really forward to it because I had new songs I would write every week and I wanted to try them. But we just kind of wanted to hang out with our friends and drink wine. And you know, it was this incredible community. And we would stay the whole time. Yeah. And we'd cross the street to the beauty bar afterwards. The beauty bar doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. But it was a scene. It was like a really creative. Oh, Tim Jones, man. He was there all the time. And man, he's his band is incredible. He's turned into something awesome. Ernie Halter, Tony Luca, like it just made this great community and fostered a real sense of like kind of Tin Pan Alley or, or, you know, Motown, those days of people really working together and creating together. I miss it. Uh, Nashville has that as a whole city, but this was one specific place on one specific night uh, every week, it just was really special. Yeah, and so did like somebody tell you about it, or did you just kind of luck into finding it? Or originally, it was a kid named Jamie Myerson. He was a um, producer and writer, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, my friends Max and Marco, um, who are the owners, you know, they're they're screenwriters. They're really cool, and they're trying to build this thing. You should come play at it." And then Max and Marco really. Yeah, I can't thank them enough. They were like, you're going to be our jewel. You know, we just want you every week. We're going to help you hone your craft and get good and put you in good slots. I mean, they were just, wow, incredible. I, oh, I'm so grateful to them. I don't even know where I'd be without them. That was like, that was my stomping ground, you know? Yeah. So it was like every step of the way here, there's like these people and tribe and you going out there and, and doing it and did you ever find like this little introvert inside yourself going ah, i just kind of want to stay home maybe i don't want to check it out you know well i mean i think that's my inclination every day of my life yeah. <laughs> still <laughs> even today i had a new co-write i was going oh i hope i hope it cancels <laughs> and then she came and she's so incredibly talented and we were so completely aligned that we already started a project together you know so it's like uh, i just have to try to ignore that little voice but yeah that's i mean yeah you know i have a lot of you know writers screenwriters songwriters right that you know listen to this show and you know i think that's a common experience for a lot of people do you have like any advice to just speaking specifically to that for how to deal with that voice and reward it or listen to it. Because there's got to be a balance, right? I imagine that there is a time to listen to that voice. That's true. That's true. Um, I have not found that balance. Mm. Quite honestly, 
I, <laughs> my advice is the worst because I, every time I go, I shouldn't say every time, but I, and I just had this experience again, pretty frequent. I will say I can't chase everything. Mm. Like no more FOMO. I'm staying home today. Uh, my baby needs me or, you know, I need rest. I have a cold. Um, that is when the hit song comes out of the other people in the room. <laughs> so I really cannot test about I'm like, oh, every time. It just happened. It just happened. And I said, watch, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to send my friend that's a, a, a newer writer yeah. to this session because she'll be like fresh and it'll be fun. But, you know, she's newer. I hope they're okay with that, with me sending her. And then I said, watch, wouldn't it just be hilarious if it like turned into a mega hit? Yeah. And um, it's the thing it's been licensed for is above and beyond. <laughs> it's unreal. I'll tell you as soon as it's out, like it'll be out in a few weeks. You're not really not helping, you know, with the, the no. thing. Right? <laughs> no, I don't have good advice there. <laughs> Sorry to say. Yeah. Um, because the other time I did that, uh, we I drove, you know, through the night with my new baby and my husband to a songwriting camp in Florida. We get there at like six or seven in the morning. I'm exhausted, you know. I've nursed my baby the whole night. I'm a drive down. It's, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to ride at nine, and I kind of fall asleep putting my baby back down. And they're like, that's okay. I mean, you're going to be here all week. Miss one session. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> and that band went uh-huh. on to record that first song they wrote. It was noted in Rolling Stone as one of the top 10 Christmas songs of all time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's the one song that I missed and I did not go to the session. So, yeah. That's Ooh. pretty funny. So, there's... <laughs> <laughs> Any day could be a hit day, um, right? Right. Or every day. Oh, <laughs> hey, nice there. segue. <laughs> I'm playing. Great. So, <laughs> so I bring that up because eventually, you and Jeffrey Steele did write together. Yeah, man. It took like five or six years, but we finally did. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm so, so glad. Um, what happened there? What was that? Man, that was kind of one of those really easy, really natural. I had this little piano riff that I used to always play. I'll never forget. I had a, um, I lived in a 1926 craftsman in Hollywood and it looked out onto Fountain. And I mean, to the point that they would shut down our street for the Hollywood parade and the horses would come through and be parked there. And, Mm. you know, just, it was like, so it was a dirty street, but it was magical too. And I would look out that screen door and just play this little riff. I don't know why, but I would always play it. Mm. It sort of like became my, I think almost every player I've ever met. They have these little absent-minded noodling kind of things Mm. they do that, um, you, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that. It was just the thing I did. And um, he's Jeff like, heard what, it. He's like, what do you got? <laughs> Is that what you played? Yeah. 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 He's like, what on earth? <laughs> what is that? Keep playing that. I think I have the story. And he had been saving this title. Every day you save me. Um, and I 
think it took us 43 minutes. It ended up every day you saved my life. I mean, that's how far it morphed. You know, it was pretty, pretty realized as a concept. So then we were just filling in um, some melody. You'll notice the melody sort of follows my piano riff. So there wasn't even a whole lot of thought there, um, except the verses, which I love, which really comes out of Jeff. Um, he has this kind of stream of consciousness. You could about out gracefully, but you didn't. That's like almost how he talks. He walks around. He was yeah. still a cigar smoker at the time, sort of circling my piano and just popping out gems, man. It was so cool. Um, it was really effortless and really um, balanced. Sometimes co-write, you contribute a whole lot when you're carrying some of the session or you're hard, you're just trying to catch what's going on and you're hardly mm-hmm. contributing mm-hmm. and they're all great. But the ones where you're really interwoven, like a dance, you know, are so fun. It makes you really close friends really fast. We went out and got enchiladas after because we nice. were so just happy with ourselves, you know, like, Oh, that was great. And, um, and man, I guess it turned out, you know, when we were happy for a reason, it had some magic to it. Yeah. So, so it was just the two of you in the room. Um, you had that magic going on and yeah. so I guess there's a, you know, different story for a different day, which is like how that landed in somebody else's hands. But like this song made it to a band. It was like one of the big bands at the time. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And how did you find out about that? Jeff called me, you know, that song had a little life of its own. This was back in the era of MySpace, and I had gotten so many bites on my version of it. And um, Jeff really loved it and said, man, maybe I should record this, which, hello, if you hear anything Jeff does. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You should record everything. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, And so at that time, Dan Huff, you know, it just got right into the hands of Dan Huff, who was producing Rascal Flats, and Jeff called me. Um, I was driving down Sunset Boulevard, I'll never forget, on my way to a a piano lesson. Hmm. And uh, he said, what are you doing? You might want to pull over, I have some news. Um, (laughs) We got a cut. It was like, what? What? Yeah, it was was pretty, um, it felt really natural. And like, really, of course, yeah. But it also felt like, what? <laughs> oh my God. You know, it was all the emotions. Um, yeah. But I knew, he said, I just get a feeling, man, that it's going to be a single because they've never had a six, eight single. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew. I just, I like saw, sort of like the way we view our children, you know, like we, I just know they're going to be happier. I know they're going to be the good life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And whether or not that's true, and sometimes it goes really astray with the song or a child, you know, but it's that like pure belief that I felt like, yeah, cool. And it was really um, an innocent, like fantastic feeling that I'll always cherish and remember because it's changed ever since then. Because that was the first time that I really, truly monetized, like all the way to the Grammy. Yeah, Um, yeah, it was a nominated song, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was different than like a theme song, which was incredible and I'll never regret, or um, a great moment in my life, you know, teaching 
an A-list movie star, which again, exciting, but this was like the end goal. This was like the thing, the Holy grail, maybe that. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's a great lesson because what's after the Holy grail, you know? Yeah. Well, well, so <laughs> for you, what was after the Holy yeah. grail? Like for me, it took about, I don't know. Things started picking up because of that. And um, because of the song I had for army wives, and it was like me going to radio for the first time as a singer mm-hmm. and, you know, making my first album and just feeling at the top of the world. Mm-hmm. And you just don't stay there. You just don't. Um, I have some friends that stay there for a long while and that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but at some point it slows down. And I think for me, it was like, as it started to slow down, it was, um, not trying to chase never ever in my life did i write a song for the money yeah but then because i'd written a song i was rewarded with a lot of praise and accolades and Mm -hmm. attention and money Mm. so it started to shift how and why i wrote songs which was really confusing and um it's good for my songwriting muscle but what a waste, <laughs> like mediocre songs <laughs> that came out for the next few years. I just have a catalog of like, bleh, like don't mm-hmm. chase something. So, so what, did that, what did that feel like? Like, how do you know when you're chasing? I don't know if I even realized it till well after. I mean, that's a natural thing your publisher will make you do. Or if you're trying to do TV now, they're like, it has to sound like big female sassy girl vocals, right? Because that's what's hot on ads. And if you're trying to be a a star in top 40, it has to sound like radio, but it doesn't. And that's the whole thing. Like never should one chase because unless you're just really doing a sound alike ripoff, like a cheapy sort of Hey, I can't afford this song, and you're a great writer. Can you write me something cool? Right. Um, but that's not very fulfilling, and certainly not what I got into music for. Yeah. Um, and it can just be kind of soul crushing. It's it's the time that I see musicians not excited about work, which makes no sense. When would a musician ever not be excited about work? Because it's such a great healing, transformative gift. And it took me a long time to realize, and I thought it happened to other people, and you know, it wasn't just me where it's not even enjoyable anymore or even listening to music or going to concerts. So I knew that I just had to stop and about faith. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you're saying like you kind of lost track of your why and your actions weren't in alignment, no matter what you were doing, it just didn't feel good at that point. Yeah. Uh, Right. Or I would think it was great and no one else would. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sad one. Because <laughs> usually, even when we're artists, just true artists, like, I don't know if people ever, I guess I, I don't know that answer, but usually mm-hmm. someone thinks it's great. You know, your mom, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, your muse. But yeah, this was like, it's just sort of, it was um yeah is that around the time that you kind of stepped away on this trip to india i was listening to you on this hello human podcast and it sounded like you know outside looking in perception it kind of looked like you were kind of 
unplugging yourself from the flow of the career thing right when it was pretty hot. Yeah, that that's actually unrelated. Um, But in hindsight, would it be, could it be like being swallowed up by the big machine and, Mm. um, you know, taking the money and doing the deal? I do remember this, that Mm. um, the person that actually at the very end of the day signs my paperwork for my first deal, you know, Mm. and this is stuff I had kind of, I don't want to say I did it all on my own, but this is stuff I did independently without publishers, without recording labels or attorneys. Right, and, right. Uh, and then I finally like join the, it's like going corporate, right? <laughs> like join the big, like the man. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm signing my paperwork and we're taking the picture and getting my check. And then he goes, so do you play any instruments? And I was like, oh, my God. Really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe that is how and why it was easy for me to leave for India in the midst of all that, which was really more related to the health of my mom and my own, um, like, desire to pursue anything in the world that could help her. Yeah. Um, and just weighing, like, what's more valuable, you know? Because um, she was definitely like, I think your career is more valuable. Like, I'll be okay. So it was certainly a choice I made. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had never thought about it that way. Now you say that, it's like, probably is totally connected. Because um, hmm. that was soul-crushing, even though I, what can you do? Like, that's it. Yeah. You've just signed that, like, you are in the marriage. <laughs> yeah. You are at the altar. And then you, <laughs> you know, right. It's like, it's like in a movie uh, right, where you find out yes. <laughs> what am I doing? Totally. No. Oh, after years of like reaching for that goal and then months of agonizing over which way to go and who to sign yeah. with. Yeah. It's, it's almost him. like, it's almost like after you found the Holy grail, you returned to the King and presented. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. And then you found yeah. out knighthood's what it was cracked up to be. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. so I have oh, this kind of brutal. I have this loose thought kind of crashing around here. So like you had this awareness about like Tori Amos, right? When you're like 16 years old, yeah. she's writing about yeah. writing life and you started seeking out all these really authentic singer songwriters, right? Who are telling yeah. Stories and point of view that you don't necessarily hear in pop music, right? Um, right. And then you're you're living through this, right? You've had some success. Your mother's having health issues. You're having this mo- soul crushing moment. Like, at what point does yeah. all that like leach into your music and your story? It's funny because, like, just now, sort of coming back, like. I have fun now. Now I can write for other people. Mm. I have to pretty typically be in the room with them, but not always. I mean, I just had a random success with a reggae act and I didn't even know them. And what they did with the song was so incredible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, in every way, like where they've taken it on the charts and around the world and the remixes and that, that album got a Grammy nomination but it still is about me in the end of the day. It's like a story about living on the beach. And, you know, even though a lot of it's made up, 
because mm-hmm. it's from a male perspective and I'm a female. Right. Um, it's just like fun and truth and mixed with like color. And that's all I really do anymore. And for a long while, I've been able to write with them, a couple of different artists that I've been working in development with and have fun and go way outside myself. But even that, it's, it's enough. It's like, okay, I'm a bit too far now of like my tea sort of steeped in everyone else's pot. It's like yeah. time to do a new project. And I've just started returning to it and interviewing and choosing the, you know, sort of team. And uh, it's funny you say that because it's, it's also terrifying. Like it's a weird thing to just be a complete truth teller mm. and be really authentic because the most authentic me isn't that popular. I don't mm. think you're ever going to hear it on top 40 radio, you know, <laughs> it's not like I was never a cheerleader <laughs> or a homecoming queen or a chess club winner or a valedictorian, you know, any of the top things. It was just me. Mm. And I, think I love that in people and their music and I don't care if it's not a big smash and I love big smashes too. Yeah. Um, mail their place. And like, I love super popular, beautiful people. That's so cool. And, uh, nothing I, I ever really aspired towards that. It's not like, I just don't have that. I've always been a little bit on the sideline, like new waiver. <laughs> sort yeah. of you know, kind of to the left or something. I don't know. Just not straight ahead. And um, and that was something I got asked to do a lot. Could you just write a little more middle of the road? Right. Especially in country. Really? That's really like, yeah, they were like, please, it's a good skill. And, and yeah. it is a good skill and it's difficult. And all the people I look up to can do that as well as write these like profound right. things that you would die over at the Bluebird. But then they have something that just, rocks country radio and gets a number one and then goes to the Grammys. You know, I'm like, Oh man, it is a real skill, that songwriting thing. And I think I'm a little bit more in the storytelling phase right now. And the, and the truth kind of, you know, portrait of life right now is what's inspiring me. Well, and that's color, right? And that's authenticity and that's connection with somebody who's listening at a deeper level. Right. That's true. You can't, you know, I, I'm not mad about, about the wallpaper of music. I used to not like to listen to music in the background because it would really pull me. But yeah, now I really enjoy like having music on all the time in the background. And But I, I don't think that's exactly what you'd put my stuff on for. <laughs> you'd mm-hmm. be like, oh, I need a little something more upbeat, <laughs> you know, and just accepting that and moving into that space. I'm really curious about it. And yeah, of course, so, idolize and look up to the ones who can do the the big, big ones. And I don't want to give up on that. But while I'm focusing on me, it's, it's probably not um, the sound and style I'll be going for. Hmm. So are you? It sounds like you're almost describing it like you're in the midst of it right now. So is it like, yeah, like you know, cur- this is like a going. currently currently terrifying yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's true. But you're moving forward anyway. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of those things that I just like will be cruising Insta Facebook or something at night and see run towards the thing that, you know, terrifies you the most. I'm like, yeah, that is really true. Gosh, 
That really is true. That's so cool. So what do you do? What do you do to like kind of strengthen yourself or your resolve or, you know, day to day to like stay all in behind that? Yeah, man. Good question. Normally I have a meditation practice, which now with baby number two has sort of fallen to the wayside and uh-huh. <laughs> I was just talking to a, right. I have another friend who's, just didn't tuned into all that and you know also in the business side now and also a creative artist and we were talking about how essential that is um and uh today even in my co-write we she was like oh, next time i come i can do energy work like this is so cool this you're someone i'm really aligned with and it just mm. leads to like the most pure channeling even though the song took us a few minutes because it was channeling so easily but that made me realize yeah then then it's just sort of your job to just take care of your body you can fill your spirit with like literature and you can fill your body with like nutrition and care for it with exercise and rest and Mm. bubble baths and um but really it's just like being out of the way and i guess just showing up to the appointment so i made you know appointments to work with people and, you know, set little deadlines and goals and right. that's how I'm going to approach it. Is that new for you? That kind of way of managing your work to keep it going? I did that on my very first album, but I, it, um, did like, I just had to follow things more. I did it in India a couple times and, yeah, it was different. <laughs> yeah, so maybe this will be a more disciplined, like, I'm not so much finding myself anymore or seeking something so much as, like, uncovering yeah. time and just, like, dusting and removing, like, digging deep. So easier to be sort of just in my life and present for that. I hope it's good or inspiring i really don't know yet <laughs> we'll see we'll maybe, see time will tell maybe it's not your job to figure that out right right like yeah. i admire that bono did that and that that you two just didn't release an album at one point on the due date because they said it wasn't quality um really appreciate that and i don't know if i'm gonna have that kind of <laughs> the muse and like my availability will align so what is success now Mm, that's a good question Mm. wow that's a really good question I guess now um, success is perhaps it's like sort of state of bliss, like Hmm. not blissful, not blissed out, but just like even, you know, totality, like acceptance of all people in all situations. Hmm. And when I say acceptance, it's like not, not being sad, not being mad, but just like really living and being in it. And Typically, when I'm really living and being in it, the side effects are more money, mm-hmm. uh, more friends, more happiness. So that's cool. 
Um, but when I'm just chasing things or trying to force things, ugh, I am unhappy. So, mm. yeah, I think um, just being. That's my new definition of success. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, was, that was a hard question. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, Good one. So what do you do for, like, creative play when we're getting kind of out of that professional brain? I love to sit at my piano. Now I have a little fun sort of writing studio cave place. Nice. Um, I like to be on the floor. I've got big bean bags and like pineapple lights and, you know, um, oh, I love to, um, actually one weird one that I wouldn't have expected is I love to power lift hmm. and like push, push to an extreme. It just like brings out a different side in me and, um, I love playing with my children. That's always been, I've always loved playing with children. They're just the best kind of, you know, actors, they always say are a good actor is just having an experience on a stage mm -hmm. or a camera. And that's like what playing with kids are. It's just they're just being, and they have this wonderful imagination and they're willing to go anywhere. So um, I think that's the good news. So it's going to be more, instead of me being out, you know, working on other people's projects, I'm going to be more with my family and in my garden and, that I've like been to twice since we planted it, <laughs> you know, because I've had no time. And uh, it's been like over a year that we planted it. Um, being barefoot, I like to be in the grass, I like to be outside, I like to swim. Um, I really do like to socialize and um, meet new people, but also have deep friendships and, you know, consistent like returns like girls nights with wine on the patio and just ah it's my happiest place and it makes me really free and it makes writing really simple mm. and natural for me that's beautiful um so that would align with being as a success goal for sure and i like how you mentioned you know, that makes the writing that much more useful to be giving yourself these other things and allowing that, you know, because it takes time to slow down. Like you're definitely reducing yeah. <laughs> your productivity in terms of like time that you spend doing work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I've been hanging out around like people that are much, much younger than me. And I'm really starting to see this. I know there's like a great divide and people like to make fun of millennials. And, but I'm going, man, there's really something to this. They've taken it to a whole new level of the work smart period. Not work hard, not work smart or not harder, just work smart. Yeah. And if it's not smart or it's not fun, I'm, I see a lot of people just not doing it. I'm like, what? <laughs> so weird, but so enlightening. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but it's just a great lesson for me. Like, it's just a great lesson for me because, you know, I come from the like trudging and trudging and trudging and just like backbreaking kind of right. world of the arts where you're like in a band touring and oh, posting your own flyers. And now it's so fun to see people be like, make a cool beautiful graphic art and put it on insta and like 
I don't know, just this whole different way that it's kind of hard to put my finger on because it's so different from how I grew up, but there's really something to it. It's like enjoying life a little more, just yeah, being in the world. Yeah. I imagine they get, we all get those lessons we take away from watching our parents when we're growing up and, and there is a cultural yeah. value. I don't know if we're shifting away from it or not, or maybe that's part of what the culture war is, but like the idea of working hard as the road, the road to success is being challenged, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And like the struggle, like, isn't so sexy anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like a different it's like, no, Era. Yeah, I don't want to save all my free time for doing or for being and being happy for like the shortest, most burned out years of my life because I hurt my body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I've yeah, had it's a whole that, been... For sure. Right? Like I didn't grow up millennial to do that, but. Right. <laughs> and then like, um, life is tough and then you retire. Like that's out, man. People are retiring in their twenties and like, you know, finding these mailbox money kinds of ways to live. And it's like, Oh, it's so different. <laughs> it's really cool. It's really wild. I'm still sort of wrapping my mind around it. Yeah. So do you still teach at all? Every now and then when I can, especially like um, sometimes it'll be, you know, an artist that I'm working with that wants to know how to play piano or something or some really special family friend that wants to songwrite or, and I do find that I'm just, I love it. Actually, I still teach songwriting really whenever I can because I teach at NSAI. Mm -hmm. Um, I teach at the Jeff Steele Academy. Um, I teach at Global Songwriters connection and so then people will call when they're just awesome they'll call for a private lesson and i'm like i have to make time for that because Mm. it it's like a i just owe it in the story like that's just karmically like i wouldn't be here but two it's actually great for me it's really inspiring i love teaching it's something i'm natural at because my parents are teachers Mm. um but yeah, I don't I don't know that that'll ever go away even though I'm not really like oh, I'm teaching and here's my, you know, <laughs> my list of classes. But yeah, I don't think I'll ever 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 give that up. It's so awesome. rewarding. It's probably the most rewarding thing for me cuz there's pretty immediate feedback, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe um, one day maybe one day if it hasn't already happened, you'll be somebody's Jeffrey Steele or Ralph Murphy, right? The, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love it. So how can people find out about you? Um, I guess it's still the good old internet. (laughs) Gosh, that's the sad part though. Someone just has the same name as me. And, um, (laughs) you know, when you have those websites that all direct like Alyssa Moreno.com and Alyssa Moreno music.com and Mm -hmm. Alyssa Moreno.net, all that, 
But she accidentally got my AlyssaMoreno.com and she's talking about tree removal now. I'm like, oh man, 20 years of a career <laughs> gone, like on the internet, gone. Wow. Oh, painful. Yeah, really painful. So that's not um, you. That's not me, the Australian tree removal. <laughs> but I still have Alyssa Moreno music, um, you know, and I'm still just out there in the world, like on socials. It's always confusing because of Alyssa Milano, who spells her name with a Y, mm. but I'm Alyssa <laughs> with an I. <laughs> and then Moreno confuses people, but it's just like Rita Moreno. I always pretended she was my auntie, you know, from West Side Story. <laughs> She's so great, such a great actor. Yeah. And um, dancer and singer and performer. Um, but yeah, I think mostly it is, I, I love that. I Googled some lyrics the other day of mine because I was forgetting them, you know, in those backstage. I'm like, oh, what, was we, what did we do before the internet? <laughs> this is so great. That's pretty funny. It was, uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was really great. And, um, and, you know, The Hills is back on. And I used to do a lot of music for The Hills and Laguna Beach. And um, so I'm noticing it's populating, like, my stuff on different Spotify playlists. And, and that kind of inspired me, too. Like, I got inspired by that music and thought, I got to go back there. I got to, like, do that thing again. That's just me, you know, just yeah. whatever that is now. But it's always a piano and it's always, like, a some sort of an arc of whatever I'm dealing with and walking through and... I have this, so, I have, yeah. I have this um, perception that that kind of music, like that just me music, plays really well mm -hmm. in film and TV. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. It did. I mean, it sure did for me. It still does. Um, yeah, I know. I don't know why. I've always viewed music as a sort of visual medium. So. Makes total sense to me. So, there's. I feel like we're just like hitting a rhythm conversationally, and could get into all sorts of stuff. But that's pretty much it. Time for me. Uh, I want to thank you for agreeing to come on the show, and it's been a lot that's of fun. Good. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I, I'm really excited about what you're doing in this whole. Uh, approach you're taking to um, all kinds of storytelling yeah thank you I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the fearless storyteller as a reminder any and all links can be found in the show notes and if you're enjoying this podcast will you please consider leaving a review by doing so you'll be helping new listeners discover the fearless storyteller podcast 